0: Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: We're going to pick up our study in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Let me just read this passage again for you. It's very brief, but with the Lord's help, we want to try to cover this passage in the message this morning. And I've entitled the message, The Heritage of the Saints. Do you ever sit and just think about what lies ahead? Sometimes we get wrapped up in what's going on right in the here and now, and we forget that one day we're going to be in glory. Amen? We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be in heaven. And then we have this great future of the millennial kingdom. And then after that, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth and living with the Lord on the new earth. All of these things lie ahead of us. And many blessings we have now, but future blessings that kind of all summed up in this wonderful passage of Scripture. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let's just bow for prayer, could we please? O oh God and Father, we come to you today with an absolute sense of our necessity of help from the Teacher, the Holy Spirit, who for we who know Christ, as we have talked about already in the service, He indwells us, but He's there also to help us to come to a knowledge of the truth. We thank You for the day that many of us here trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We came to know Jesus, who is the truth. But since that time, Lord, You have been revealing to us, through the Holy Scriptures, Your truth that helps us not only to know how to live our lives today, but as we look forward to the future to have hope, confidence, Lord, that you are absolutely in control and the plan which you devised before the foundation of the world, you are unfolding that plan. You're doing it in our lives and you're going to do it throughout history. And then one day, Lord, history will end and future eternity, from our perspective, future eternity will begin. We look forward to this, Lord, so use your word today to speak to our hearts, and we'll be careful to praise you. For Jesus' sake, we pray, amen. As we often do, I want to move through this passage of Scripture, phrase by phrase. This passage teaches us first that God has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now that's a long phrase, and we're going to take this phrase and take it apart, word by word, and move our way through. Now it begins by saying, He made us partakers, and literally, He made us meet. It means He made us sufficient. He rendered us fit. He qualified us that we might be partakers of, of that great inheritance, which we're going to define very clearly from Scripture in just a few moments. Now, why did he have to qualify us? Why weren't we automatically ready and prepared to participate in the inheritance, which begins here and lasts for eternity? Well, it's because of what we were like before we knew Jesus as our Savior. Look at this verse, which to me... As I read the words, it it just sounds desperate. You think about how terrible our condition was outside of Christ. He said, remember that you were at that time, what? Separate from Christ. I want to ask you, aren't you glad you're not separate from Christ today? He says... At that time, in your unsaved state, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. And he's writing to Gentiles here. And he said, you didn't even have a connection to Israel, the people of God. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, those covenants that were for God's people in the Old Testament. He said, you Gentiles, you had no access to those covenants. And then notice these last phrases, having no hope. Have you ever felt that way? I know that before I came to know Jesus as my Savior, even though I was only 12 years of age, I was so burdened with my sin that I felt that I had no hope in this world. Absolutely no hope. I didn't know what was going to become of me because of how sin had taken control of my young life. I had no hope in this world, and I was without God in the world. Folks, what would we be doing today if we didn't have the Lord in our lives? I tell you what we're doing, what the rest of the world is doing out there. Worrying, afraid, without hope, not knowing what lies ahead for them. That's what we were. But he says, we have been made meet, we've been qualified by God now, And he's talking about our standing as believers. He's not talking about our character. We all still lack in character, don't we? Right? We all need to develop spiritually. We need to be more like Jesus. But in our spiritual standing, our position in Christ, God looks at us and he sees us clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're absolutely perfect in his eyes. And he did that when he saved us. He qualified us so that we can participate in the inheritance. Now, to be a partaker in the inheritance is a very interesting phrase in the Greek, and I don't know how to say that, so I'm not going to try. But it means this, the portion, which is the lot. Now, this phrase is used actually in the Old Testament, and it's used to describe that time when the land of Israel was divided into lots for the 12 tribes of Israel. And they each had their portion of the land of Israel. That's the idea. Each tribe got a portion, a lot, that their family inherited and passed on to their descendants. And he said, you know what? God made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. In other words, every one of us has a personal lot in God's inheritance. In other words, it isn't just some general thing. God has a personal experience of his inheritance for you. In Ephesians 1:11 In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Aren't you glad God is in control of everything? Aren't you glad that God never has a surprise? He's never caught off guard. He knew before the foundations of the world, every one of us who would be sitting in this building today. He knew it. He knew what you would need to hear to minister to your heart, to help you to move forward in your Christian life. And my hope as your pastor is that as I share the word of God, it will encourage you to move forward. But he has a plan. He's unfolding the plan. And it is a perfect plan. And it includes an inheritance. Now, What does the Bible say about our inheritance? First of all, that inheritance consists of eternal life. I want to show you an interesting verse And it's a verse that often we look at and focus on the first part of the verse and don't see the last part. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold. I have heard this verse quoted over and over again, and that's where they stop. We'll receive a hundredfold. In other words, if you give up here, the Lord's going to reward you abundantly. It'll begin here, but it will last forever in heaven, and that's going to be great. But notice what he says then. He's got another little phrase here, sir. and inherit what? Eternal life. I mean, that's kind of good too, isn't it? Huh? Eternal life. Now, what I want you to understand is that eternal life is far more than just endless existence. We aren't talking just about quantity of life here. We're talking about quality of life because the life that we receive is the very life of God. It is Christ's life in us. You remember the verse in Galatians 2.20 where Paul writing, he says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet what? You remember what it says? Yet not I, but what? Christ liveth in me. Isn't it great to know that Jesus Christ lives in us so that he can live out his life in us? In other words, he wants to work out his righteousness through your body, through your mind, through your hands, through your feet. He wants to use you to accomplish his eternal purposes. It is Christ living his life in us through us that life was given to us when we got saved it's being lived out in us through Christ right now and one day we will enjoy it in the eternal sense that it will be possessed forever we're not gonna lose the life of Christ ever and that's something that we can count on today the Bible has much to say about our inheritance it's not only about eternal life Secondly, we inherit an incorruptible inheritance in heaven. An incorruptible inheritance in heaven. 1 Peter 1.4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I've said this several times, and I'm going to probably keep saying it, you have been reserved for the inheritance, and the inheritance has been reserved for you. God is protecting you and making sure that one day you will receive the inheritance in heaven. It's the future blessedness in heaven in the Father's house. Remember Jesus said this, in my Father's house or what? Many mansions. If you think you've got a mansion on a hilltop, i got news for you. It says there's one house, and the house has many mansions. And the, room, the, the, the word should literally be rooms. There are many rooms in the Father's house. When my family arrived this week, Noah ran into the kitchen and he said, Is this a mansion? Talking about the parsonage because it's so big and Papa lives there all alone. Is it a mansion? And I said, well, no, it's not a mansion, but it's got lots of rooms. And I showed them to their rooms and so on. Listen, folks, you have a room in the Father's mansion if you are a child of God in the Father's house. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And as one preacher said, if in six days he could make the world, what is this place going to look like after Jesus has been 2,000 years working on it? Right? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said, listen, I'm going to fix the place and get it all ready for you, and then I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to give your portion, which is your lot. you got a room. you got a mansion, a room in the Father's house. Isn't that something to look forward to? Don't get too excited. We don't have insurance to cover. You've fallen off the pew, right? But I want you also to see that the inheritance we have includes the future millennial kingdom of Christ, and then eventually, at the end of history with the destruction of the old earth and the the old heavens there'll be the creation of the new heavens and the new earth and we are going to be in God's eternal kingdom together you know we look at our lives here and you know they say if you live 70 years you know you're doing pretty well and if you get to 80 you won't do that without some pain and trouble and struggle right Ham's still going strong in 98. I don't know, but most of us don't stay strong like that. But you know what, folks? Listen, when we get to heaven, it's only just the beginning. We're going to come back. We're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years on the earth. Imagine what I'm going to look like in a thousand. Actually, I don't think I'll wrinkle out too bad during that time. The Lord's going to take care of me. But the millennial kingdom... And then, after that, the eternal kingdom of God on the new earth. That's our inheritance. That's what we can look forward to in the future. And by the way, knowing that all that awaits us, it should free us from the present pursuit of material possessions. Now, we need material possessions to live, but we don't need everything that's available. And I think when we think about eternity, we ought to think about the enjoyment, the rest, the peace, all of that is future. Right now is the time to serve God, to walk with God, to live for God, to proclaim the gospel. This is work time. Rest time comes later. And so it involves inheriting the earth. Remember this verse? Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth, the earth. So folks, this is not the end, this life. And I don't know about you, I'm awful glad that this is not the end. Now we've been made partakers of the inheritance, but the scripture says it's in a certain context. It's in light. This phrase qualifies the inheritance. It speaks of the context in which the inheritance is situated. Light in the Bible seems at least to represent two things biblically. When you talk about light and you're talking about intellectual things, it represents truth. Jesus Christ is the truth, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the revelation of who? Of the Father. That's why he came into the world. And so when you talk about intellectual things, it represents truth. But when you talk about moral issues, it represents purity. Remember in 1 John chapter 1 it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is absolutely pure. He's absolutely holy. He's totally sinless. He's pure. But in that same chapter, it says that you and I as believers, we need to walk where? Walk in the light. You see, if you want to walk with God, you have to walk in the light because God is always in the light and never in the darkness. And so when we think about the coming kingdom, Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of light characterized by absolute truth and purity. Aren't you looking forward to that day? There'll be no more deception, no more liars, no more false teachers. We will know the truth of God and I personally believe that in eternity we are going to be taught by God Himself because we will never be God and we will never have the kind of knowledge that God has which is a knowledge without limit, a knowledge that is infinite. We will be growing in our knowledge. Now, I believe in heaven. We'll know a whole lot more than we know here but I think we're going to keep growing. We're going to keep learning. We are qualified by God. He has made us fit for the inheritance now. And we're going to talk about some of those things right now that we receive. But also the inheritance in the future. And oh, what an inheritance it is because of the place it's in. It's in heaven. It's on the new earth. And it will be a kingdom characterized by truth and by purity. Now I want to move on to the next phrase, and it says in verse 13 that He hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Now the word delivered means to draw to oneself to rescue. The idea is when you get rescued, the person who rescues you pulls you to them. You're out here in the water and you're drowning. And they pull you in, they pull you to themselves, and they bring you to safety. And he's saying, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Now, that word power means delegated power. In other words, it's not inherent power, it's not power that you have because you exist. This is power that has been given to you. But notice where this power is. It's the power of what? What does it say up there? It's the power of darkness. So we are talking about satanic authority. The devil has been given power over this present evil world. And he has power over the lost He cannot overcome the overcomers. Now, he can influence us if we are not walking in the Spirit, but the devil can never take control of your life. He will never possess your body. He can't do it because the Holy Spirit already possesses you. But what I want you to understand is that the devil has power, but he only has as much power power as God has given him and one day here's the good news that power will come to an end and I want you to see this first John 3 8 he that committeth sin is of the devil uh-oh how many commit sin you're of that devil is that what is that what this verse means no Because we all sin, even as Christians, we still sin. But when he says, he that committeth sin, he's talking about someone who is living habitually in the practice of sin. This is a person who does not know the Lord, and so they've given their lives over to the flesh, to the world, and to the devil. Now, as believers... We can have power over the flesh. We can overcome the world through Christ. And the devil must resist us if we first humble ourselves before God. He will resist. He will run away. We need to resist him. But he's talking now, and I'm talking now, about in the world... The power of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, is where Satan has authority. And I want us to think about this. Oh, I wanted to get to the last part of the verse. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. In other words, Jesus came into the world for a reason. This is one of them. That he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. Aren't you looking forward to the day when the devil is finally put in his place? In Revelation... I believe it's chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. says that, or maybe it's chapter 20, but the devil is going to be cast into the lake of fire where he will be tormented forever. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And by the way, he accomplished that victory through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. What does the Bible say about Satan's power? Number one, Satan fathers the unsaved. John 8, Jesus was talking to the religious leaders of his day, unbelievers, you are of your father who? The devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. You are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. Now, he was talking to very religious people. People who were keeping all the rules. In fact, they made up rules to keep. They were legalistic about those rules. But he said, I'm sorry, you're doing those things to earn favor with me. And these things cannot accomplish that purpose. You should do good things. You ought to obey the law. You ought to keep God's rules. However, you'll never be saved by doing it. And he said, you do all of these things, but I've got news for you. You don't have a heavenly father. You have a demonic father, and it's the devil. He who sins is of it. Again, he who commits a permanent, ongoing lifestyle, who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Secondly, Satan rules the world of the unsaved. And by the way, it's the same world we live in today as well. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul has just told the Ephesians that before they were saved, they were spiritually dead in their what? In their trespasses and their sins. And he said, in that lost condition, he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. He's talking about this evil world system where we live today. He said, you walked according to the world. You did what the world did because you were a part of the world. You remember later Jesus would say, they hate my disciples. They hate my followers. Why? They are no longer of the world even as I am no longer of the world. But those who are lost are still of the world. And he said, Before you knew Christ, you walked according to the course of the world, according to the what? The Prince of the Power of the Air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Who is that Spirit? It's the demonic spirit, Satan. And so he's saying, You're, you're lost in your sins. You're dead in your sins. You're controlled. You're following this evil world system. And the devil has you under his control. That's why these words of James are so serious. Adulterers and adulteresses say, Whoo! Thank the Lord, I've never committed adultery, so this verse isn't for me. He's talking about spiritual adulterers and spiritual adulteresses. He's talking about the unfaithful to God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So as unsaved people, they were walking according to the world and they became enemies of God because they lived according to the world. Third, Satan takes the unsaved captive at his feet. Will. And I put in brackets there disobedient believers can be influenced by Satan as well. We can be attacked. The Bible talks about him shooting fiery darts at us and needing to put on the armor of God to protect ourselves. But the world has no such protection. But notice what he says here in this verse in 2 Timothy. In humility, he's writing to Timothy as a pastor. This is at the end of Paul's ministry. He's writing to Timothy who is pastoring a local church. And he says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Now, contextually, he's probably talking about false teachers who are against God and teaching error. But he's also talking about unbelievers. They live in opposition to God. By the way, that's what it means to be at enmity with God to oppose God, to oppose his will. In humility, says Timothy, you need to correct those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the what? The truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of who? Who? The snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. What tremendous influence the devil has over the lost. And then lastly, Satan blinds the unsaved to the truth. puts spiritual blinders on them so they don't understand. They don't comprehend the light. And the light in this case is the truth the truth of the gospel whose minds the God small g of this age that's the devil has blinded who do not believe lest this happens the light and we said the light intellectually refers to truth lest the light of the gospel that's the truth lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. The reason you're saved today is because the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ shined on you. And you believed. But you see, the devil puts blinders on people. I mean, you know, when we witnessed to folks and, you know, yesterday that we went to New Hampshire and my mom got to eat her great-grandson's And that was that was such a blessing from my mother. She's wanted that for years and years. It's just never been possible till now. And they got to meet all of the family, and I asked them last night if they were really happy they met the whole bunch, because I'm not sure they, you know. No, we we had a wonderful day and it was a great time with family. But you know what? Several of the people that were there were not saved. And you know what? It was obvious. You know how it was obvious? The way they were talking the things that they were talking about, the priorities in their lives, the things that are, you know, really important to them. And some of those people have heard the gospel again and again and again and again. And the devil still has the blinders over their eyes and they cannot conceive of the light of the gospel of Christ. And that breaks my heart. But I want you to know something, folks. You and I do not have the power. We do not have the ability to bring anybody to the light. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can do that. We share the gospel. We share the words, the message of salvation with people, and we're done. And by the way, you need to share those words in the power of the Holy Spirit too. You need to be controlled by the Spirit. Your life needs to be measuring up to the gospel you're preaching to this person. And when you do this in the power and leaning upon the Holy Spirit, your words can become like arrows coming into their hearts. Piercing that that hard exterior on their hearts and coming through. God, it's interesting, the Old Testament talks about replacing hearts of stone with hearts of what? Hearts of flesh. You have a knife and you stab that into a rock, it's not going to go very far. But when it's a heart of flesh, God wants his truth to get into their hearts. The devil blinds eyes. You know, when Paul was talking to King Agrippa, and Paul was describing his calling as an apostle, he used these words. He said, God has called me to what? To open their eyes. And to turn them from what? From darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and what? Inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. I mean, that verse right there talks about everything I've talked to you about so far. It's all in that one verse opening eyes, turning from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, they can be forgiven of their sins. They get an inheritance, along with all the rest of the sanctified by faith. All the rest of the saved. And he said, that's my responsibility, to open their eyes. Now, how did he do that? Paul would go to a town and says, listen, I don't want to know anything in your midst except one thing. That's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's what I'm here for. And he preached the Lord Jesus and many, of course, came to Christ. So, the next thing I want us to see, the next phrase, he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The word translated means to transpose, to transfer, to remove from one place and put it in another place. This same word is used describe what happened when God removed Saul as king. He took him off his throne and put him back into the context of the average common person in the eyes of God. And had David anointed to become what? the next game. Now, there was a period of transition from when Saul got done and David took over. But I want you to know the day that Saul disobeyed God, God ripped the kingdom away from him and he translated him out of kingship. You and I have been translated from the power of darkness and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Satan, we have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. He's literally the son of his love. There is no greater love story than the love story between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And that love has been revealed to us through Christ. And then we become partakers of that love. We're loved by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. Aren't you glad that with God's help you can overcome the power of sin today? You can actually say no to your flesh. Now we don't always want to say no to our flesh. But we can say no to our flesh. We lean upon the Holy Spirit of God. The verb here speaks of our total removal from the domain of satanic darkness to the glorious light of the kingdom of Christ. Now, I don't know how you can get any better than that, folks. That's an amazing provision that God has made for you and for me. As I was meditating on this the words to an old hymn came to mind I don't even know if we have it in our hymn books here but this old hymn we used to sing now I belong to Jesus Jesus belongs to me not for the years of time alone but for eternity we are in his kingdom and we will never again be outside of it Thank God that's true. Now the next thing he says we have is redemption through his blood. Redemption is a releasing effected by payment of a ransom. Now the Apostle Paul is using the imagery of slavery here to help us to understand the principle Back in that day, when they had slaves, they would take them to the open market, they would put them out there before the people, and they would begin to sell them off. And for you to purchase that slave, you had to pay a price that ransomed them from that slavery into, unfortunately, into the slavery of whoever bought them. Now, he's taking that picture not to approve it, But he's taking that picture to give us something from the physical realm that helps us to understand the spiritual. And he says, we have been slaves of sin. Were you a slave of sin? And we're slaves of the devil. Remember it said, he by his own power takes them captive at his own will. There was a liberation price that was paid to set us free from sin. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But this is how you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Now, other human beings had blood in their bodies, but what made Jesus' blood special was not the blood, but was Jesus. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God. And because the Lord Jesus shed His blood for us as God, the God-man, taking our place as a substitute, His life is given to us and by the way the significance of the blood is that the it says the what is in the blood the life is in the blood and so Jesus poured out his blood as a symbol of the sacrificing of his life the laying down of his life for you and for me it was the price he paid and it was precious it was it was precious It was precious. You will never know true freedom. True freedom. Until you know the bond slavery of Jesus Christ. You know what? You've not been freed from sin so that now you can sin without consequence. You've been set free from sin so that you might sin no more. I mean, that's the will of God, right? God wants you and I to sin no more. Now, are we struggling with that? Of course we are. Why? Because he hasn't taken the old nature out of us yet. I remember when Jody was little and... We were trying to help her to understand after she'd asked Jesus in her heart why she struggled with doing the right thing. And I don't know if this was a very bright illustration, but it was one I came up with at the time. And I said, well, Jody, I want you to think that there's a box in here, and inside this box there's two little men. And they're fighting with each other. In the Bible, one is called the old man, and in the Bible the other one is called the new man. The old man is the part of us that wants to do bad things and the new man is the part of us that wants to do right things and they're fighting all the time. Who's going to win? By the way, who usually wins a fight? It's usually whoever ate his Wheaties that morning for breakfast, right? Or ate his spinach if you're a Popeye fan, right? Spiritually speaking, when you and I are feeding on the Word of God, when we are walking in the Spirit, We are empowered to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the new man can win. Here's the good news. Someday the Lord's going to take the old man out of the box. Right? And we're not going to have a sinful nature in eternity. But praise God for the bond slavery. Listen, you are not free today. What you have done is you have changed your master. And that's why I put here, you will always be a slave, but the question is, who is your master? Is your master still sin? If it's sin, you're still of the devil, and you'll go to hell forever if you die in that condition. But if your master now is Jesus Christ, you will not perfectly live for him, but you will seek to do so. You will want to do so. You will ask the Spirit of God to help you to do so. You will beg God to help you every day overcome your biggest enemy, which is yourself. Yes, the world's a problem. Pizza Hut is still in town. You know, so I mean, there's temptations out there. We went there yesterday. We won't talk about that. <laughs> Folks, I want to tell you something. You and I, we've been set free in Jesus. But our freedom are chains of love to Christ. And our desire is to do his will. It's to do what he wants us to do. I'm going to be done here in just a moment. Romans 6, 16 to 18. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey? Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that ye what? You were, past tense, the servants of what? The servants of sin. That's what you were without Christ. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. That's the truth. The truth of the gospel, that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you can do anything you want. Woo-hoo! Is that what it says? No. He says you became what? And, and folks, the word there is slave, not servant. That's, that's a pretty weak Translation. I mean, we understand servant, but, but a servant can be a servant and not be a slave. But we are slaves of Christ. Why? He bought us with his blood. He owns you today if you're saved. You do not have any authority over yourself. None. He has all authority over you. I need like seven more minutes, so I'm going to stop. I don't finish messages like my son does. I get them started, and then we move on. So I want to pick this up, because this is too important. This last part here, the forgiveness of sins, the remission of our sins, I want to talk to you about that, because that's really, really an important principle. And then I want to tell you, for how long your sins will be gone. I think that we, that'll be worth spending a little time talking about, don't you think? So we'll do that next Sunday morning. But folks, listen. God qualified you. If you're saved today, he took you out of your sinful lost condition and he qualified you to be a participant in his eternal inheritance and you have your own portion of that inheritance waiting for you. And he took you out of the kingdom of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son and you will never lose that position. And he set you free from sin and paid the price so you belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we can be in your house today to hear these wonderful truths. Lord, that we have an inheritance one day, eternal life. Not just quantity of life, but quality of life. The very life of Christ in us. Forever. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you so much that you have taken us out of the domain of the devil. You've placed us into the domain, the kingdom of your dear son, the son that you love so much, and now the love with which you love us too in Christ. Lord, how can we not just from our hearts be shouting, Hallelujah, praise God. You're worthy of that, Lord. You're deserving. So I pray that you'll take your word, Lord, and make a difference in our lives through what we've heard today. To go out here knowing victory is assured us through Christ. We don't have to give in to the world, to the flesh, to the devil. We don't have to be servants of sin. We now are servants of righteousness through Christ. Help us to live that way this week. And if Jesus tarries, bring us back next Lord Day so that we might finish studying this passage and then move on to the next section. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website. And just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things, for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.